It's true that in the Psalms we keep telling God, please do realize what we're going through. And are you really going to go on doing this to us? And how much longer do we have to suffer? But all the same, the psalmist knows that God is really on his side and that sooner or later he'll bring peace and victory. Whatever disaster or sorrow may come our way, our faith assures us that God does not forget us. He's always at work, guiding us to holiness. His, word, his words to the prophet Isaiah can apply to us. I will lead the blind in a way they know not. In paths they have not known, I will guide them. If he gives us crosses, it's because he wants to make us saints. And so we always manage to preserve peace in our hearts. But then we all know people who've actually lost the faith. It's what I dread for myself more than anything else in the world. If I went mad, at least I couldn't sin anymore. But if I lost the faith, I'd feel I was in a nightmare in which I'd forgotten that God's love is the key to everything. I'd be lost, and fear would block my every path. And indeed, I have the impression that there's plenty of fear among those who don't possess our faith, our view of reality. I don't have television myself, but I see it when going out visiting, and I say that many people have a real pagan fear of the world of spirits and of the occult. And it's with good reason they do fear. Once we leave the company of Jesus and Mary, we're like the little children in the fairy story, lost in the bewitched wood, with strange and frightening noises all around them. When I was working in London with overseas students, I had several non-Catholics come to me through fear, convinced that someone was casting a spell on them. I received two women into the church who came to me in the first place because they were suffering in some way from witchcraft. The devil's like a dog on a chain, and Holy Mother Church warns us to keep out of his reach. He exists, and would be a frightening individual if we were on our own, without God. He's an angel, a fallen angel, and since he's an angel, he's more powerful, more intelligent, more cunning, and more evil than any human being could be. Nevertheless, we Christians have no cause to be frightened by him. We're in our Father's garden, and while outside that garden there are indeed terrifying beasts, the devil and his demons, we, being inside, can laugh at them. But if we should unhappily find ourselves outside that garden, it would be no laughing matter. There are many who have a fear of the occult that God never wished his children to have. The only thing we should really fear is sin. Some Catholics have grown up in such ignorance of their faith that they are unaware of the existence and malignity of the devil. They read the horoscope every day, and when I protest, they say it's just a joke. But there are some things we should not joke about, and that's one of them. Some childish pranks can end in tragedy. You know, in, in London, after Mass one Sunday, a man actually asked me to bless his zodiac ring. I said, in no way, that's pure paganism. Fooling around with horoscopes and zodiac rings can lead people to think there's a third party beside God of their own free will that can in some way affect their destiny. This is not so. On the one side, we have God and our free will. That is, 
We have our free will, weakened though it may be by the effects of original sin and of our own sins. And we have God who loves us, that promises every help if only we ask him. And on the other side, we have the world, the flesh and the devil. There we have the background for the Christian combat. But the, cho the choices are ours. We cannot shuffle off the blame for our weakness onto the stars, nor even as a joke should we even let ourselves think this could be so. Let me read now a bit from the Catechism, starting at number 2115. A sound Christian attitude consists in putting oneself confidently into the hands of Providence for whatever concerns the future and giving up all unhealthy curiosity about it. It goes on, consulting horoscopes, astrology, palm reading, interpretation of omens and lots, the phenomena of clairvoyance, and recourse to mediums, all conceal a desire for power over time, history, and, in the last analysis, other human beings, as well as a wish to conciliate hidden powers. They contradict the honour, respect, and loving fear that we owe to God alone. And then it goes on. All practices of magic or sorcery, by which one attempts to tame occult powers, so as to place them at one's service, and have a supernatural power over others, even if this were for the sake of restoring their health, are gravely contrary to the virtue of religion. These practices are even more to be condemned when accompanied by the intention of harming someone, or when they have recourse to the intervention of demons. Wearing charms is also reprehensible. Spiritism often implies divination or magical practices. The Church, for her part, warns the faithful against it. Recourse to so-called traditional cures does not justify either the invocation of evil powers or the exploitation of another's credulity. And the old pedicatechism warns us, the first commandment forbids all dealing with the devil and superstitious practices, such as consulting spiritualists and fortune tellers and trusting to charms, omens, dreams and such like fooleries. It would be superstitious, for instance, to give things a power they do not and could not possess. By omen, we mean a sign that's supposed to foretell what is to come. These catechism warnings are important. If the devil sees we are superstitious, always on the lookout for omens, thinking our dreams are packed with hidden meaning, wearing lucky charms, consulting our horoscopes and so on, he could make real fools of us by keeping us in a perpetual state of anxiety and foreboding. The Church has all we need. Catholics should keep themselves within the framework of what the Church has to offer. Some people seem to think that the Catholic Church is just one small part of God's beautiful garden. The main world religions, they say, and the various non-Catholic forms of Christianity show other aspects of God's truth and beauty and holiness and perhaps we have something to learn from them. Well, as a convert brought up Anglican, but with excursions into Christian science, I think otherwise. I don't mean we have nothing to learn from the individuals concerned. We well may. Some Hindus, for instance, 
pray with wonderful intensity and at great length. And you've only to read the Psalms to realize that some Jews must lead very interior lives and love God dearly. Then I remember being given a lift by an old Belfast Protestant, and our conversation turned on the Bible. When we got there, we were not talking, and he took his Bible from the glove locker and read me one of the Psalms. That was forty years ago, but I still remember the beauty of the way he read it, and I remember realizing that he drew much more from his reading of Holy Scripture than ever I did. So we may well have something to learn from the piety of individuals, but do we have anything to learn from other faiths or other churches? The Catholic Church is God's beautiful garden, and in it we can find all we need to delight our mind and our heart. In other words, we find in the Church all we need to attain the end for which we were made, namely, life with God forever. But outside the Church, while indeed there's much that's true and beautiful, for the most part it's a wilderness of ignorance and error and confusion, where life is full of uncertainty, and survival difficult. To show what I mean, I'll read something from A Free Man's Worship by Bertrand Russell, who is meant to be one of the world's greatest philosophers of this century. He wrote, Brief and powerless is man's life. On him and all his race the slow, sure doom falls pitiless and dark. Blind to good and evil, Reckless of destruction, omnipotent matter rolls on its relentless way. For man, condemned today to lose his dearest, tomorrow himself to pass through the gates of darkness, it remains only to cherish, ere yet the blow falls, the lofty thoughts that ennoble his little day. Disclaiming the coward terrors of the slave of fate to worship the shrine that his own hands have built, undismayed by the empire of chance to to preserve a mind free for the wanton tyranny that rules his outward life, proudly defiant of the irresistible forces that tolerate for a moment his knowledge and his condemnation, to sustain alone a weary but unyielding atlas, the world that his own ideals have fashioned, despite the trampling march of unconscious power. <laughs> 